We're in 1 Samuel this morning. We're in uh, chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. Last week we talked about David and uh, his slaying of Goliath. Really the only miracle in the life of David. He was a great warrior. He, he did a lot of foolish things, but he did a, a lot of good things. And we'll talk about one of those good things this morning. After David had slayed Goliath, cut his head off, King Saul offers David his own armor, or before, before he even went out to battle, he offers him his armor. And that is symbolic in more ways than we think. Uh, Tradition tells us the king was known and recognized by the garments he wore and by his armor. So Saul is known as king by his clothing. And when he offers David his armor, he's basically offering David the kingship. David, you can be king if you prevail against Goliath. And he offers David his armor, and David, uh, he doesn't take it. He, he says, you know, I'm but a lad, and I can't move very good. And keep your armor, King Saul. But we know Saul well enough to know that this was just a honorary offering that he's making David of his clothing. And David, he's he's polite, he's wise enough to realize that uh, this is simply an offer, and he refuses it. But we see David, after he has killed King Saul, or King Saul, King Goliath, I'll get it straight, Just bear with me. After David has killed Goliath, he takes Saul, uh, Goliath's armor for his own tent. And it's, uh, it's to show any Philistine that might ever desire to rise up against Israel, hey, I conquered your champion, and here I've got his armor, and I've got his clothing. But Saul's offer of his armor to David, at best, it was mixed with mixed emotions and a tainted offer. Because Saul doesn't really believe David will prevail against Goliath. It's interesting, this play of garments and armor and all this. And <clears throat> we see uh, Jonathan. And Jonathan is watching all this. And Jonathan has been paying close attention. Dad has offered David his armor. And, and we see that Jonathan's soul is knit to David's soul. And in the last verse of chapter 17 uh, of 1 Samuel, Saul's question is a very uh, deep question. And it's deeper than it appears. And he says to David, 
in that last verse of chapter 17, Whose son are you, young man? Where have you come from? What is your heritage? What is your link to being uh, a great man here? And it's uh, a question that Saul wants answers to. And Saul is admitting, he's admiring really David in his loyalty to himself and his loyalty to God. But he's also wanting to know David's motives. So let's jump into chapter 18, and we'll read the first nine verses of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off his robe that was on him, and he gave it to David with his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out all of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousand. Then Saul was very angry, and, he's, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have described, uh, ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Jonathan, Saul's son, is uh, he's one of those lovely people that you can't help but admire. And uh, he's a, a great warrior in and of himself. In, in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, we have Jonathan climbing a cliff with his armor bearer and slaughtering 20 Philistines single-handedly. And this brought on a great Israel victory over the Philistines. But here in chapter 18, Jonathan's love for David is compared to his love for his own soul. One of the easiest proofs in Scripture is we all love ourselves. Who do we watch out first and foremost for? Our own self. And Jonathan's love to David is compared to the love he has for his own soul. Now, the gay community cheapens this godly love of Jonathan by trying to make it a sexual love between Jonathan and David. And that's not the case whatsoever. Just, you know, just be aware of it. Jonathan's love and obedience to God is on display here. Jonathan had a tremendous love for God the Father. And it's, it's coming forth. Saul, in verse 2, keeps David now in his own household. He's in the king's court. 
And Saul, in a, in a sober moment of clarity, and he, he did have some, he sees the virtue of David. He sees that David is a, is a great man, a great young man, not only a good warrior, but a man of character. And Saul is troubled by David's loyalty. And he goes back and forth between loving David and wanting to kill David. And that will, that will play out in the, the next chapter or two. But not Jonathan. Jonathan, Saul's son, loves David as he loves his own soul. And in verse 3 and 4 there, Jonathan's love for God and God's future king in David is demonstrated by Jonathan. Jonathan wants to be part of what God is doing through David. And it's an unselfish love there. And it's uh, one of the pure agape type loves that we see uh, demonstrated by man. This will involve now Jonathan giving up his position as Israel's future king. He's giving up his future kingship as Saul's son, and he's given it over to David. And they, uh, Jonathan institutes a covenant between himself and David. They make a promise to one another, and he gives David his royal robe, uh, along with his personal armor. And he gives David his sword, he gives David his bow, gives David his belt. And this giving by Jonathan of his royal clothes and his armor is a sign to all of Israel, David is to be the next king, not me. What love Jonathan had for David and really what love he had for God. I was watching 60 Minutes last Sunday night, something I don't normally do, but I, I was watching 60 Minutes, and they showed how because of a loophole in U.S. law, local workers in this, uh, not factory, but in this manufacturing place, were having to train their replacements, and their replacements were foreign workers. And here you have these local workers, U.S. citizens, and they're objecting to the fact that they have to train their replacement, who is a foreign worker. They're going to train the person that's going to replace them and take their job. And if you didn't train this foreign worker to take your place, they would not give you four months of severance pay. So you were caught in a trap. I've got to train my replacement if I want the four months of severance pay. And they showed this one worker, and he's objecting something of... Um, quite heart-touching. You know, he's, he's really upset that he has to train his replacement, and we understand that. Uh, but that happens to be the principle behind Calvary Chapel. You're to train up 
your replacement because of your love for God and for his movement in his church. We are to train up those who replace us. Chuck Smith, our founder, he was installing family into positions of authority as pastors to take over upon his death. And the current pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, is not really well-liked or respected by a huge portion of the Calvary chapels that are out there. And now I'm trying to be kind as possible here, but I, I want to be honest also. And this change of direction that came from Costa Mesa upon Chuck's death has not set well with a lot of Calvaries. But we, being here in Alabama, we're so removed from the power struggle that goes on in California that it's not even hardly worth mentioning. But we see Costa Mesa now being taken in a different direction than what Chuck Smith founded it upon way back. And there's many Calvary Chapel pastors and others who are deciding who they will now align with. Are they going to go with Costa Mesa or are they going to go with the Calvary Association of Pastors? So there's this having decided. We haven't been called on to decide, so hey, we'll let it play out. <laughs> there's no choosing required of us. They don't, well, uh, they do care about us, uh, but we're not a the apple of their eye. But it's going to be interesting to watch how this all transpires and how it all comes down. And we want to be doing what the Lord would have us to do. And there's enough said on that. But David has been elevated to oversee Israel's army. David is now, you might say, a general in Saul's army. To the people, David is their champion. And Saul at this time, he also accepts David as a war hero. Saul cannot deny that David has killed Goliath and set him free of the Philistines. But Saul's attitude, it will change shortly. And it changes when he hears the women of Israel sing a song. They sing a song of praise, and they're dancing with joy. And the song, the song goes like, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And this is more than Saul's ego will allow him to handle. And Saul comes to a conclusion, and it's a conclusion that is based upon the character of Saul. We make our decisions and our opinions come forth from what we are and who we are. And Saul comes to the conclusion that what more can David want but to be king? Saul is desperately afraid David desires to be king. And, look, and Saul looks upon David and he has contempt for him and he's above all things very suspicious of David. And in verse 9 we see Saul can no longer live in peace. 
knowing that David, in his own mind, is a threat to his being king. And we also know that Saul is tormented by an evil, distressing spirit sent by God. So Saul is a very troubled man, and he's uh, so troubled that it affects his uh, decision-making. It affects everything about his life. But let's pick up 1 Samuel 18, verses 10 through 16. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied inside the house, so David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. He was a, uh, a person in touch with the people. What a contrasting image we have between David and Saul. Saul has a spear an implement of destruction for war. David has a harp, an instrument of praise and worship, an instrument of peace. If you watch the news, you can be troubled by the news, and we live in a very violent world, and that violence spills over into our country here in, in, in various ways. And then just a week or so ago in Charlottesville, Virginia, there was this confrontation between the skins heads and the blacks and so forth. And there's racial tension in America right now. There appears to be no voice of reason from anyone. So the question becomes, What is in the hand of us as Christians? Is it a spear or is it a harp? Are we attempting to destroy people with words of hate? Do we feel compelled to voice our opinion Truly, when no one cares what our opinion is. We are to be peacemakers, believers. That is what we're called to. We're to give words of peace. We're to give soothing words of reason and comfort. Just like David did. David refused to lift his hand against King Saul in battle even refused to self-defend himself, one would say. You can make a case that David could have killed Saul and 
it would have been self-defense. Saul tries to pin David to the wall with a spear. David escapes from him twice times. David will have numerous opportunities to kill Saul. And like I said, anyone would say self-defense. But David refuses to come against King Saul. He will not do it. David knows Samuel the prophet anointed Saul as king. David also had Samuel anoint him to be the future king. David will even run, and David was not a coward. David will even run to escape Saul rather than to fight against Saul, perhaps kill him. Now, there is a lot of tension in America. We have the news media, and as a rule, they hate our president. They're not fair, I think, in their reporting of news. And then we have our president. He's not one to hold his tongue on any issue. He's his own worst enemy. Sometimes I wonder, why can't you just be quiet, man? But he can. He has to let his opinion be known. And now we have this racial tension here in America, front and center, whether you like it or not. It's there. And we see hatred being demonstrated openly, and it's being demonstrated on both sides. As Christians, as believers, choose carefully how you respond to violent racial behavior. Be careful. Be led of the Lord. We have a high calling upon our lives. As believers, we're called to peace. Romans 12, 18. And if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. God's word to us. We're not allowed, I think, we're for sure not supposed to stir the pot of hate and prejudice. Don't be caught there. Don't be, don't be doing that. We are called to live at peace, and that means if necessary, we run, we flee a Saul who's throwing spears. There are people who would love to put you in a position of compromise. And we all have things that bother us. We all have things that uh, we detest. And uh, I'll let you know a couple of them I have. I detest slow, bad drivers. I do. And they always seem to find their way right in front of me. And the other peeve that I put right up there with bad drivers is those who litter. They think the world is their trash can. I've owned three farms in my life. Two in California, one here. 
And the farm we now live on is right there included. I've had to clean up what I call dump pits on each farm. Two in California and one here. People that would take a beautiful setting and just pile trash. I don't understand it. <laughs> Why did they do that? And it bugs me. And I'm not a neat and clean freak either. <laughs> but but I, I detest junk piles. And every farm that I've bought, two in California and one here, have had their junk piles, their trash pits. And I've cleaned them up. And I could easily get on a soapbox about litter. I could do it in a flash. And I'm not the only one. Wednesday night in our men's group, I found some other guys think just like I do. So, so you're good men. <laughs> so we have, my point is, we have social concerns. We have our pet peeves. Do not allow your concern, your pet peeve, your preferences to rob you of your Christian witness. Don't allow it. You're called to a higher call. David has been given opportunities to respond to Saul's attempts to kill him. But David, get this, the giant killer, the mighty man of valor, demonstrated self-control with kindness. David was not afraid to use a sword. David had, he had opportunities, will have opportunities to kill Saul, who wants to kill him, but he won't do it. He's a man under control. He's a man that's going to live at peace if it depends on him. And we all have known people that were against us, to put it that way, who wanted to uh, drag us down, who wanted to uh, defame our character. And we've all had people that we've had to deal with. Sometimes it's a person in authority over us, like a boss or someone. Show them kindness. Show them kindness. We are called to be peacemakers. It's that simple. We can't avoid that. Live at peace with all men, if at all possible. Even if you have to run and appear to be a coward, live at peace. Avoid those circumstances that will spoil your Christian witness. Run from the circumstances. Don't be a spear thrower. Be a harp player. David knew how to do both. David knew how to be a warrior, but he also knew how to bring peace to a situation. In fact, God had him playing his harp to his mortal enemy, Saul. And I... 
If that's not irony, I don't know what is. So this day, determine that you will live in all possible within you, be at peace. Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.